We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. Take your Bibles and stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. Two weeks ago, I began this message simply entitled 40 Amazing Days, talking about what happened in the 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ prior to his ascension. We talked about the fact that in those 40 days, he proved beyond a shadow of a doubt he really is alive. And secondly, he proved death is not the end. This morning, we're going to talk about that third point, and that is that everything or the only thing that matters is the kingdom of God and the greatness of the kingdom of God. So look with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Father, would you add your anointing to the preaching of your word this morning? Would you put me on like a coat and wear me today? Let words of life emanate from this pulpit and the spirit of the living God touch hearts and touch lives in this room. Lord, I pray for that one who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that today be the day they become convinced that you are alive. And because you are alive, they turn to you as their Lord and Savior. I pray for those in this room who are struggling who are fighting and feel like they're not winning, I pray that you'd remind them that in the kingdom of God, the battle is already won. And that even yet today, you are fighting for them. You're going in front of them. You're preparing the way. Oh, remind them, Lord, that you're the God who shows the way when there seems to be no way. Lord, I pray that hope fill their hearts today because the greatness of the kingdom of God is among us. Jesus is here. Have your way in this service. In his name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about the kingdom of God, what it is, what it looks like, how it's played out in our lives. A lot of people have differing opinions. Some people think the kingdom of God is a physical thing that is here right now, or that somehow through our actions, by our faith, we're able to create the kingdom of God on planet earth today. Well, can I tell you, that's not a fact. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom at this point in our lives. At some point, according to Revelation 19, 15, Jesus will return to planet Earth. He will set up a physical, literal kingdom, and he will rule this planet. But today, his goal, his quest, his aim is to rule my heart and my life. His aim is to rule your heart and your life. His aim is to build the kingdom in each one of us. That's why he told his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Every time we pray, thy kingdom come, we're praying, fill me with your grace and with your power and with your truth. Fill me with your majesty. Fill me with your wonder. Remind me every day who you are, where you have come from, what you have done for me. Thy kingdom come. It's an amazing statement and an amazing prayer when we begin to pray, Thy kingdom come. You know, through the last years of the charismatic renewal, there's been a lot of folks who have perverted the kingdom of God. They've taught us that it's about what I can get. In reality, the kingdom is about what I give. So the kingdom is giving up to gain. The kingdom is losing to win. The kingdom is dying to live. 
The kingdom of God is the antithesis of the kingdom of the world. It's the polar opposite of our culture and everything that we're taught in this culture. But in that midst and in that mix, Jesus wants to show us in the midst of deception, in the midst of misconception, in the midst of confusion, there really is a kingdom that can occupy our hearts and our lives. And we can be subjects of that king and greater things have never happened. When I'm talking about misconceptions in the kingdom, it reminds me the story of the uh, FSU student who took his girlfriend to the spring game. He was so excited for her to watch a game at, at the stadium. And as he was sitting there with her and watching everything unfold, the number one running back draft pick or college recruit in the country took the field, Cam Akers. And when Cam Akers took the field, the boy said to his girlfriend, Take a good look at this guy. I expect him to be our best man next year. His girlfriend snuggled up close to him real tight. And she said, I've never heard anyone propose that way. It's very unusual, but I accept misconceptions. Misconceptions. We have a lot of misconceptions about the kingdom of God. So let's talk about the fact that the kingdom of God is our highest priority. Someone said, well, what does the kingdom of God look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you're reading about the kingdom of God. You can read it in John chapter 1 where Jesus said, or where John wrote, that Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. Can I tell you, the kingdom is full of grace and truth. We need to understand that it's not just grace and it's not just truth. It's a combination of the fulfillment of complete grace and complete truth. So when we think about the kingdom of God, realize it looks like Jesus. It looks like God's love being displayed through Jesus Christ, who hung on the cross and died for your sins and for mine. The kingdom of God today consists of people, you and me, who are willing to sacrifice and give ourselves to serve others. It consists of people employing the principles of power under rather than power over. You see, that's what the kingdom teaches us. If I will submit to the king of kings, his power flows through me. It's a power that comes under his dominion, his authority, and his rule, rather than power over in my life. Those around me, it's a power under rather than a power over. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. He made that very clear. He said, if my kingdom were of this world, my followers would fight for me. But it's not of this world. So when we look at the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, we see there's a contrast between good and evil, a contradiction. And really, the way we live today outside the kingdom of God, when we compare it to the kingdom of God, is two separate ways of life. It's two absolute different ways of living life, two mindsets, two belief systems, two fundamentally different loyalties. Let me give you five things that represent the contrast or the contradiction of the kingdom of God to the kingdom of the world. This isn't in your notes. You're going to have to write it down. Oh, my goodness. He did it again. He's going to tell us something he didn't put in the outline. Now I've got to write it down. Or you can tune into chctoday.com, watch service videos archives, and hear it there, and write it down. Then whatever you need to do, download the podcast, but you need to get this. Number one, the kingdom of God is a contradiction of trust. The kingdom of the world trusts the power of the sword. The kingdom of God trusts the power of the cross. Come on, you need to get that. The kingdom of God trusts the power of the cross. 
The kingdom of the world advances by exercising power over. The kingdom of God advances by exercising power under. Number two, the kingdom of God is a contrast or a contradiction in terms of goals. The world seeks to control behavior while the kingdom of God seeks to transform individuals from the inside out. Listen, we can never change a person until they come to Christ and their heart is changed. You can put a drunk in a new suit and take him to church, but if you don't let him encounter Christ, he's just a drunk in a new suit. We need to understand the kingdom changes people from the inside out. The kingdom of the world is rooted in preserving, not advancing, if if not advancing one's self-interest and one's own will. Well, the kingdom of God is centered exclusively on carrying out God's will. So the kingdom of the world says it's all about me and mine. It's all about promoting myself, where the kingdom of God says it's about submitting yourselves, humbling yourselves, even as Jesus humbled himself to the death of the cross, so that God may be glorified in your life. Number three, the kingdom of God is a contrast or a contradiction in scope. The kingdom of the world is tribal by nature. Do you realize that? It's about language or country or family or people groups or religion or ideologies or political agendas. Where the kingdom of God is not tribal, it is not cliquish, it is not about a group or an agenda, but it's perpetuated and it's represented universally. The kingdom of God is for all men and all women. The kingdom of God is for all languages and all races. The kingdom of God is for the sole purpose of representing Jesus in you and in me, not for continuing some belief system that predated Jesus Christ. It's for continuing universally. The kingdom of God is a contrast or a contradiction in responses. The kingdom of the world, their motto is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In this fallen world, the only way you're going to survive is by being aggressive, by going after those who are after you. But in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. You see, it's a complete contradiction in responses. He tells us, don't return evil for evil, but return evil with good. Go the second mile. Pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. What a contradiction to the philosophy of the kingdom of the world. And last, number five, it's a contrast to battles. The kingdom of the world has earthly enemies and as a result fights earthly battles. The conflict never ends. Have you noticed that? There's war going on all the time somewhere. And it may not just be globally, it may be right in your neighborhood or right in your home. Conflict never ends when we are a part of the kingdom of the world. However, the warfare in God's kingdom has nothing to do with the physical realm and everything to do with the spiritual realm. Do we have an enemy? Absolutely. His name is Satan, Lucifer, horns on the head, and every demon from hell. But you're not my enemy. Come on, somebody needs to get that today. You're not my enemy, and I'm not your enemy. We have problems in the church because we try to apply the principles of the kingdoms of the world to the kingdom of God, and it just doesn't work. That's why there are church conflicts. That's why there are splits. That's why there are people getting mad and taking their toys home with them never to come back again. Get over yourself. You see, we've got to stop functioning in the kingdom of the world in the church of Jesus Christ. 
and begin functioning in the kingdom of God. Because yes, we do have battles, but the Bible tells us the weapons of a warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of Christ, pulling down vain imaginations. It tells us that our weapons go forward in battle to fight those things that are rulers of darkness in high places, the philosophies of the world that destroy the kingdom of Christ. Oh, come on, church. It's time to know where your battle is at and who you're fighting against. You're not fighting with me and I'm not fighting with you. I'm not even going to go down that road. We need to understand that's not our battle. Our battle is against forces of darkness. So in our text this morning, the last phrase, will you put verse 3 on the screen again, please, Sonia? Verse 3 of Acts chapter 1. I want you to see it one more time. The last phrase of that statement says that he was speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. It's in this portion of that verse, please. Speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. For 40 days, all Jesus did was talk about the kingdom. He didn't spend that time talking about the weather. He didn't spend that time talking about the Romans. He didn't spend that time talking about the Pharisees. He spent that time talking about the kingdom. So think about it. If Jesus spent his last 40 days on earth with this band of believers speaking only of the kingdom, it must be pretty important. It should be something that we need to grasp and get in our lives. Jesus knew that he was returning to heaven. He wouldn't be back for years and years. So he wanted to equip and prepare that band of believers so that when he was in heaven, they would have what it took. They would have some metal in their brisket, if you know what I mean. They'd be able to stand and declare the truths of the kingdom of God. He gave them, in that 40 days, the best news they had ever heard. And that best news is called the gospel. And then he gave them the responsibility of taking that news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. He entrusted this message that would change the history of the entire world to a band of ragtag believers who had never stood up for him before, who seemed to see their sand run out every time a confrontation occurred. This burden of carrying the kingdom was falling on their shoulders. And if they didn't step up and accept it and carry it, this whole new thing of Christianity would die away and pass away. But an incredible thing happened in those 40 days. And then an even more incredible thing happened in the next 10 days as they waited in the upper room. They received power from on high, and that power helped everything they had heard, everything they had received, everything they had learned from Jesus click into place. Someone says, why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that everything clicks into place? It doesn't make you a better Christian. It makes you a more effective Christian. It doesn't mean you're on some superstar pedestal when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It means rather that the river of God begins flowing through your life in unprecedented ways, rushing over every obstacle, every attack, everything that Satan throws against you. So let me encourage you, be filled with the Holy Spirit as Jesus encouraged the disciples. This burden would fall upon their shoulders. Now listen to me, something happened to them in that 40 days. Something that had never happened previously in three and a half years. 
It happened, number one, because they really believed he was alive. They understood he rose again from the dead. But they didn't suddenly believe this because of their Jewish background. They didn't believe this because of their schooling in the Torah. They didn't believe this because they had memorized the Septuagint. They believed it because of what they had seen. They believed it because Jesus was among them. He rose again from the dead. He ate food with them. He talked with them. That's why they believed these things. See, there's a lot of folks that believe in God, but it's time to believe God. Do you understand that difference? When Peter stepped out of the boat to walk on the water, he believed in God. But his faith began to fail him because he didn't believe God. Do you understand the difference? On, on the, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus said to the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in that moment, Peter, when he made that confession, believed in God. But I'm telling you, on the day of Pentecost, he believed God. And that transition occurred not because of their foundation, not because they walked through the tenets of their faith, not because they'd been raised up in Hebrew school. They believed God because of what they had seen. And what they saw was Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Oh, come on, folks, I need to stop here for just a moment and drive this point home until you and I know that we know that we know that we know He is no longer dead, but He is risen. We simply believe in God. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm going to say it anyway. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to stop believing in God and start believing God. You see, it moves us from the arena of being a spectator, from the arena of being a Sunday morning Christian, to the place that we put on the armor of God. We suit up and we walk out of the church of Jesus Christ prepared to do battle with a very real enemy and say to him, I'm done with you. You will not have my family. You will not have my community. You will not have my school. You will not have my future because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I believe God. That's why that song spoke to so many of you so powerfully this morning. Because suddenly, you begin to realize that what God promised, He's able also to perform. You begin to realize, as Abraham of old, that we serve the God who calls the things that are not as though they are. You begin to realize faith really is the substance of things not yet seen. It doesn't say things not seen, it says things not yet seen. Oh, come on, folks, when we move from believing in God to believing God, it revolutionizes our life. This is what's happening in those 40 days. This group of ragtag believers, this group who forsook him at the cross, this group who didn't have enough gumption to stand up for him suddenly saw something that changed their definition. Now think about it. Throughout the history of Israel, there have been probably hundreds, if not thousands, of false messiahs. They had came saying, I am the one, I am the one. But none of them died and then rose again from the dead. 
I'm here to tell you, I serve a living God. I serve the true God. I serve the God who has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Not only do I believe in God, but I today choose to believe God. And believe that what God has promised, He's able also to perform. It's all about the kingdom. You can read it in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. There is in each one of us a need to know and serve God. It says that God put eternity in our hearts. Do you understand that in Genesis chapter 1, I believe it's verse 26, that says, God said, let us create man in our image and in our likeness. What he's saying is we're going to make him a spiritual being. We're going to make him a being that can relate to us on a whole different level. We're going to make him a being that will not only believe in God, but will believe God. Let me just tell you, all the religions of the world believe in God or gods. Every one of them. There's nothing unique about believing in God. But the difference between Hinduism or Buddhism or or, uh, Islam is the fact that we choose to believe God. I don't just believe in God, I believe God. And that's all the difference in the world, folks. When we believe God, we can stand in the face of the worst storm and be firm. We can stand in the face of the worst attack and hold our heads high. This last week, we had some time with our grandkids in Oklahoma and Texas. And we watched one or two of our grandsons play baseball yesterday. Hudson, he's our oldest one. He was here last summer with his brother Seton. Hudson is 10 years old. He was playing bas- baseball for the first time in his baseball career of two or three years. I mean, it's a long one, you know. For the first time in his career, he's on a losing team. You ever been on a losing team? It's not fun to be on a losing team. Everybody wants to be a winner, right? In that game, he only got up to bat one time and he struck out. He had no plays in the left field. The ball didn't even come his way. Well, with one exception, the home run that went over the fence. And after the game, he was bummed out. He was discouraged. He said, Pops, I'm no good. I'm never going to be any good. I said, Hudson, stop equating yourself with that loss. That's not who you are. You've improved tremendously since I saw you play two years ago. You're a great ball player. You can hit the ball. You can throw the ball. You can catch the ball. Lift your head up, square your shoulders, and get back out there next Saturday and go play like you're going to win. Listen, that's what the church needs to hear. It's time to stop walking around, moaning and groaning about all that is wrong. It's time to stand up, square your shoulders, lift your head, and say, Devil, you want to fight? You pick the right person because I'm bringing it to you. I'm not backing down. The kingdom of God is in me. Oh, do you understand what that means? Do you understand the power associated with thy kingdom come? Thy will be done in my heart and in my life. It means that no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm enduring, no matter what I'm encountering, there is a power in me whose name is Jesus who's going to get me through it. Not long ago, I was observing an individual in this church who had had a bad diagnosis. And I watched him on a Sunday morning walking up the parking lot before church started. And I watched them there walking like this. Their head was down. When they came in the doors, they wouldn't smile. When they shook my hand, it was a woe me handshake. You know what that means? Wimpy. No power. No authority. And I said, Lord, would you in this service this morning somehow break through to that person 
and help them know and understand they've already got the victory. The battle has already been won. They need to know and understand that God is working for them. He's already promised, Philippians 1 verse 6, He who hath began a good work in you shall perform it. Oh, come on, somebody. It's time to lift your head, square your shoulders. When the enemy is coming against you, tell him if you want to fight, you've got one. Because I picked up the shield of faith. I picked up the sword of the Spirit. I'm wearing the helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness is upon my chest. My loins are girt about with truth. And my feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you won't see me running away from you. You'll see me running towards you. Come on, church. The kingdom of God is of utmost importance. But until we stop believing in God and start believing God... We'll never get this concept. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says that Jesus spent his last 40 days talking about the kingdom of God. In the Gospels, 80 times Jesus referred to the kingdom of God. It was the central theme of his teaching. Luke chapter 4 verse 43 says, He was sent for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God. Now that's a vast topic. But if we boil it all down, it means one thing. It means God has the sovereign right to rule you and me. Years ago, we used to sing, He is Lord, He is Lord. He has risen from the dead and He is Lord. We don't do that anymore. It's great theology. It was good practice. It was a wonderful confession. Oh, folks, hear me. It's time to remind ourselves, He may be my Savior, but He's not in control of my life until He is my Lord. Until I've given him the authority and the right to rule my life. Until I say to him, the thing that matters most to me, my highest priority is your kingdom being displayed in me and through me. When we come to that place and that position, then we understand when God's doing something new in our life, it isn't frightening, but rather it's an adventure. It's an adventure. All of us need to live for the adventure And understand God has great things in store for us when we allow Him to establish His rule in and over us. In the Old Testament, this concept was clearly depicted. You can look at the life of Abraham, and God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of a nation. Of nations. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That promise was repeated and amplified through Moses and David and the kings and the prophets. And the Old Testament ends without the kingdom coming about. But when Jesus is born, it's an announcement of the coming kingdom. It's a declaration the kingdom of God is here. Read it in Luke chapter 1 verses 32 and 33. The throne is, this is speaking of Jesus. The throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. The kingdom of God is eternal and it came through Jesus Christ. Jesus himself preached this truth in Matthew 4, 17 when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom was near in Jesus' life and ministry for one reason. The king had came to the earth. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ assumed the form of a man, the king of kings and the Lord of lords came to planet earth? So that's why I can tell you, if you want to look at what the kingdom looks like, look at Jesus. 
Because Jesus is the kingdom of God. He later remarked in Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is in your midst. But then the story seemed to end because he was crucified. Because he died on a cross. But aren't you glad the story doesn't end with the cross, but it carries through to the tomb on Sunday morning? And when Mary with the women went to visit the tomb to prepare his body for burial, they heard one say, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Go tell Peter and the disciples, He is risen. Oh, somebody, we need to know there is a connection made when we understand Jesus is alive. This isn't doctrine. This isn't dogma. This isn't creed. This isn't something you simply read about. This is life to you and me when we get the fact Jesus is alive. See, it's his resurrection that allows the kingdom to come in our hearts and in our lives. Matthew 6.10, that's what Jesus said. When you pray, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So each time we pray that, We're asking God to establish His rule in our lives. Every morning when I pray that, I'm asking God to establish His rule in my life. You see, when you begin to understand that Jesus is alive, Christianity then takes on life. Before that, it's simply a dogma, it's a religion, it's a teaching, it's something your grandma taught you about or your mama taught you about. It's nice, it's good, it's wonderful. You can come to church, you feel good about yourself, and then you can leave. But I'm here to tell you, when you grasp the fact that Jesus is no longer dead, but He is alive, the kingdom of God comes alive in you. Something happens inside of you that changes you from that moment forward. You understand, oh, it's not the kingdom will come, it's the kingdom is here. And the king's ruling my life. The king is directing my steps. The king is speaking into me every single day. I challenge you. Will you you take this challenge? Will you start praying the Lord's Prayer every morning? When your feet hit the floor, will you pray the Lord's Prayer? You know, so many people think you got to kneel down. I don't care what posture you have when you pray. But will you every morning start praying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Give us this day our daily bread. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day. For thine is the kingdom and thine is the power and thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thy kingdom come because thine is the kingdom. Thine is the power. Thine is the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you don't like the King James Version, then find another one. I don't care. It's not going to matter. But read the Word. Pray the Word. Get it in your spirits. Come on, let it come through the filter of your mind and settle in your spirit. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. By doing that, you're saying, establish your rule in my heart and in my life. The kingdom of God is not here in a physical sense, but it's here in a spiritual sense. The kingdom of God can't be seen with the naked eye, but it can be seen with the spiritual eye. But the results of the kingdom of God can be seen with the naked eye. When someone comes into Jesus Christ and asks Him to forgive you of their sins, you're seeing the kingdom of God in action. When you see a husband and wife reconciled and divorce averted, you're seeing the kingdom of God in action. 
When you see a rebellious teen turn back towards his father and his mother, you're seeing the kingdom of God in action. Oh, come on. When you see a sick person healed, you're seeing the kingdom of God in action. What does the kingdom look like? It looks like Jesus. So if you need a definition, go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you see what Jesus did, that's what the kingdom does in you and me. It looks like Jesus. That's why Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And all these other things, one of the things he was talking about, food, clothing, and shelter. Do you realize that in that contrast we talked about, the kingdom of the world spends all of its time worrying about those basic needs, food, clothing, and shelter. Now, it may be expanded a little more than that, depending on the culture in which you live. In Africa, all they want is a roof over their head and something to eat every day. And hopefully some clothes to wear. Do you realize there are places in Africa where people don't even have clothes? They have nothing. But in America, we're not satisfied with clothes over our head, and a roof over our head and clothes on our back and food on our belly. We want a retirement plan. We want a brand new car. We want a big house. And on and on it goes. You hear what I'm saying? So Jesus said, set that aside. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek His righteousness, His peace, His joy, and all these other things will be given or added unto you. He said, don't you understand your Father knows you need that? And because He's a good Father, He's going to provide that. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. To put it in simple terms, seeking the kingdom of God simply means prioritizing God in our life. Putting God first in our life. Putting God above all else and over all else in our life. Do you realize since Adam and Eve sinned, we live in a hostile environment? The culture we live in is hostile towards the kingdom of God. But the good news is God sent His own Son to become a man, to become sin, so that He who knew no sin could become sin, so that we become the righteousness of God in Him. God found the remedy for man's sin. It was through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so it means to put God first, to prioritize Him in our life. Even when things aren't getting better, only getting worse, we prioritize God. Even when the storms continue to rage, we prioritize God. Even when there's not enough money in the bank to pay the bills, we prioritize God. Seeking God's kingdom consciously means rejecting materialism, rejecting selfishness, and allowing God to move in us and through us through self-sacrifice and through compassion. It means following the steps of Jesus which led him to the cross. Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> Paul is writing to a bunch of heathens who came to Jesus Christ. You realize that, right? He's not writing to church people, writing, writing to heathens who converted and came to Christ. And he tells him in Romans chapter 14 about what it takes to please God and how to be pure. And he tells him it's not what you eat that makes you pure. You can read that whole passage. It's an amazing passage. And then in verse 17, he says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not physical. It's not what you take in, but the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is what's happening in you, not what's happening around you. 
understand that in short, seeking God's kingdom means putting God first every day. Sometimes many times a day. We don't often have just one opportunity in a day to make the decision that God's my priority. We have many opportunities every day to make the decision that God is my priority. And making your decisions based on God's agenda, not my agenda. A lot of us live life with a tip of the hat towards God. And then like Frank Sinatra, we're going to do it my way. That's not what living in the kingdom is all about. It's about submitting to the king. Years ago, I was pastoring a church in northern Kansas. A young man walked in the back. Probably the best word to describe him was emaciated. He was thin, gaunt, looked like a skeleton. And he came in late and he left early. So there, for several weeks, I didn't have a chance to really meet him. He was coming Sunday mornings only. And then he showed up on Wednesday night. And Wednesday night service was a lot like we do here. It was time of Bible study and prayer and much more informal. So in that service, I had a chance to meet him. His name was David. He was 35 years old. And he said the first Wednesday night I met him, do you have time to talk to me maybe in your office tomorrow? I said, sure, come on by. He stopped in the office on Thursday morning. I've always had an open door policy. You know that, right? I want to spend my life in your life. You see, my responsibility is not to fill you up. My responsibility is to empty me out. And then what you do with that is up to you. So we came into the office and we spent about an hour together. And he began telling me that he grew up in church, a Pentecostal church, actually. And that when he was a teenager, he began to rebel against God. And he had all these conflicting feelings inside of him that didn't match up with what the church was teaching him. And he went his own way. And he said, I discovered I was gay. And I began to live that lifestyle. And he said, when I was 28 years old, I was then diagnosed with AIDS. And he said, I've really came back home here to Topeka. This is where my family is at. And I'm going to die. He realized that. He said, do you realize that I've been coming to your Sunday morning services for eight weeks? I didn't. To be honest, I did not. He said, no, David, I didn't know that, but I'm glad you're here. He said, well, every Sunday morning when you give that altar call, I want to get up and I want to walk down that aisle and ask Jesus to forgive me. He said, I've never had the courage to do it because of who I am. See, he thought his lifestyle separated him from God. Someone had told him at some point back down the line, some screwed up theology that said, if you're a homosexual, God doesn't love you. He hates you and he wants nothing to do with you. Can I tell you, that's a lie from the pit. Jesus Christ died for everyone. Jesus Christ died for all. And that morning in that office... I reached across the desk and grabbed his hands and led him in the center prayer. And tears began to flow down his face. The next Sunday morning, I said, David, called him out. I want you to come and I want you to show people what God has done in your life. And you walked that aisle. We gave him a great reception. Do you know, heaven rejoices when people come to know the Lord. Knew David for a period of years after that. And every day he got weaker and weaker as the disease began to destroy his body. I can remember in the last years of his life, I would go see him twice a week. Every Tuesday and every Thursday, he couldn't get out. He was bed fast at that time. Pray with him. Have communion with him. Assure him again that God loves him. That he's forgiven him for all the things that he's done. He's a new creature in Christ. 
There's a home waiting in heaven for David. We had those conversations again and again. And I remember at some point in those conversations, he began to say to me, Pastor, you know what I want? You know what I pray? I said, no, David, what do you pray? I pray that God will let me reach my friends. Most of my friends are gay. They need to know what I now know, that God does love them. That there is forgiveness, there is hope, if we'll simply turn to Him. And through the next period of months, He began to reach them one by one. And I saw Him walk down those aisles in Topeka. And I saw those individuals, men and women both, giving their hearts to God, seeing their lives transformed. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within us. David understood it. When he passed away, I knew I was going to do his memorial service. There was no doubt about it. But he had a sister, a younger sister, that came in from out of town. Her name was Carrie. And she asked me if she could speak about David. I said, sure, that's wonderful. I love to do that at memorial services because memories help us heal. And she talked about the fact that when she was his younger sister and he was a teenager, he was pretty hard to get along with. A lot of days she didn't even like him. And then when he drifted away and turned his back on God, began living that homosexual lifestyle and had no contact with his family at all, her heart would hurt for him. But she said, you know, about a year, year and a half ago, he came back here. He met Jesus as his Lord and Savior. God revolutionized his life. And this is what I learned from my brother in the last year or so of his life. The only thing that matters is God. The only thing that matters is God. She said it three times. The only thing that matters is God. The auditorium was filled that day with David's friends and families, many of them still in that lifestyle. And when I stood up to conclude that service, I had a message prepared and God said, just shut your mouth. And repeat what Carrie has said. The only thing that matters is God. Because the kingdom is in you. When you accept him as your Lord and Savior. And that day I did as I often do at funeral services. I said if you're here. And you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just slip up your hand right where you said. I'm going to pray for you. And if you in faith believe and receive him. Then you'll understand the only thing that matters is God. It will change you from the inside out. Listen to me, church. Too many times we draw up these cute little rules. We say what a Christian is and what a Christian does. We say this is what the church looks like and this is what the church doesn't look like. I've come to tell you this morning, the only thing that matters is God. The only thing that matters is God. It doesn't matter where you've been or who you are. It doesn't matter who has disqualified you or excommunicated you. The only thing that matters is God. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. That's the church's job. Shouldn't be but it has been. God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. When I shared those two simple scriptures and said, the only thing that matters is God, 
172 people raised their hand. And they said, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, to come into my life. It was the most powerful, one of the most powerful moments I've ever experienced in ministry. When I saw the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. You see, the kingdom of God isn't about me getting another car or a bigger house or new clothes or a larger bank account or a good retirement. The kingdom of God is about taking what Jesus taught those disciples in 40 days, infusing them with a supernatural power so that they would take what they'd received to a dying world. The kingdom of God, my friend, is about going into the world. It's about telling Someone that Jesus loves them. It's about declaring. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been. It's all about God. And the only thing that matters is God. Stand to your feet with me this morning. Tom, when you come back, would you do it again? That song, God is able. Whatever it is, you know what? Let's just sing that out one more time. Heads about and eyes are closed across this room this morning. The only thing that matters, my friend, is God. It doesn't matter what you've been told. It doesn't matter what you've been taught. It doesn't matter what someone has said to you. The only thing that matters is God and your relationship with Him. So my question to you this morning is, are you here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because you thought you were disqualified? You thought it didn't apply to you. Someone told you, you've been too far down that road, you can never come back, you're hopeless. There is no help for you. I've come to declare to you, the only thing that matters is God. And today, the kingdom of God can get living in you when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's you this morning, right where you stand. Will you slip up your hand and say, I want Jesus in my heart and in my life. As I wait a moment across this room, front to back, up in the risers, I want Jesus in my heart and in my life. I want the kingdom of God to come alive in me. So wait just a moment. Is there anyone? You say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. I need the kingdom of God in my heart and in my life. Yes, sir, I see you back there in the risers. Anyone else, you'll lift your hand and say, that's me. Yes, that's me. I want Jesus to come to my heart and my life. Yes, sir, I see you, young man. Yes, ma'am, I see you in the risers. Anyone else? Anyone else? Those of you who raised your hand, would you lift your hands, look directly at me? There's no one else looking around, just those of you who raised your hands. I want to speak into your spirit today. I want to speak into your heart this morning. And I want you to know and understand that God loves you. God cares about you. God prepared this day just for you. So that you can know Jesus died for your sins. And you can be a son. You can be his daughter today. All you have to do is say, Lord, I believe you're the son of God. I confess my sins to you and I ask you to come into my heart and to come into my life to save me, deliver me, change me. So those of you with your hands and heads raised, I want you to do something courageous. Remember, Jesus died on the cross for you. So I want you to step out and I want you to come right now. You raise your hand, step out and come. From the risers, from every section, step out and come. That's it. Come on, church. Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, 
We invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida. A multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.